Hello and welcome to the After Sermon Podcast, where we pick up all the bits from the cutting room floor that didn't make it into our sermons and break them down. And today, we're looking at the sermon, Rise of the Khmer Rouge. is Christopher and ladies and gentlemen you are in for a treat today because we have two very special guests with us joining me again is our regular co-host Mr. Jesse Marks hello everyone and we also have a new guest uh, straight from the college campus here Miss Kiralee Josie hey well this week we are looking at a quite a quite an interesting sermon I would mm-hmm. say and uh, before we get into it I'll just give a quick recap of what it was for the listeners at home. Just before we get into this, though, if you haven't watched the sermon and you would like to watch it in its entirety, make sure to go watch it in the link below and come back here later because this podcast is full of spoilers. With that out of the way, let's get into the recap. So, essentially, the sermon begins by looking at uh, a historical event in Cambodia, and it... I basically gave a detailed description of how this uh, group rose into power in Cambodia called the Khmer Rouge. Essentially, what they end up doing is they overthrow the uh, the person who's in charge, uh, Prince Sinuk. Um, so, sorry, actually, Prince Sinuk is overtaken by another guy called Lon Nol, and then that guy decides to ally himself with the Khmer Rouge. And then the Khmer Rouge sort of turn their back on him, forget about him, and they become in power. And they start this really big regime that is focused on uh, Khmer or Cambodian purity. They feel as though Cambodia at this point during the Vietnam War has been very polluted by the West and they want to get rid of this Western influence. And so things like modern technology, medicine, education, all of that is abandoned in, in order to get back to a more agricultural society. And eventually uh, the Khmer Rouge is overthrown, but what's interesting is the regime only lasted for about three and a half years, and yet it's had impacts on Cambodia that it still feels today. For example, Cambodia is uh, the prostitution capital of the world at the moment, and there are a lot of other things. There's immense poverty over there. Uh, Cambodia really has never quite fully recovered from this event that took place for only three and a half years, and this is back in like uh, the 70s. So it's uh, it was really interesting, and then I wanted to get people to think well, what could the connection between this event be with the Bible? Does the Bible have anything to say about this event? And so after that, we look at Revelation 11, which is the, uh, this prophecy about these two people called the two witnesses. And again, if you want more information on this, I'd recommend going and listening to the sermon because it's very uh, in-depth and I won't be able to explain it all here. But essentially, the short version is that the two witnesses uh, represent the Word of God, basically almost the Bible, the Old and New Testament, essentially. And there was this period where the two witnesses, the Bible, was killed in France during the French Revolution, uh, during this period of time called the Age of Reason. And basically, it was looking at the fact that 
this event took place in France, but what really killed the Bible was an ideology. And this ideology that spurred out of uh, the French Revolution was atheistic communism. And so you find that the big uh, guy who motivated this was Thomas Paine in his book The Age of Reason, and his protege was George Hegel, and all throughout these people, Sigmund Freud, Charles Darwin, who eventually influenced Karl Marx, who eventually influenced Pol Pot. So, really, had it not been for this event that took place in the late 1700s, we never would have had the Khmer Rouge in the late uh, 1900s. The Khmer Rouge was only possible because of the birth of atheistic communism during the French Revolution. Alright guys, so I want to get your impressions. What did you think of the sermon? Jesse? <clears throat> well, I had a good time with it, actually. I thought it was really fun. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> yeah. Come here, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no. In the sense... In the sense that, like, you're getting a great history lesson and prophecy all in one. I mean, yeah. What more could you ask mm, for? Really? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, I thought it was really good. I especially like the fact you kind of use a bait and switch a little bit as well. Oh, I love my bait and switches in yeah. my sermons. <laughs> <laughs> I do it. I get people to think I'm right on the edge of heresy and they go, ah, I'm just uh, messing yeah. with you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm orthodox, I swear. I, I, yeah. So no, that, that was fun. I mean, the, you go on thinking, oh man, how does the Khmer Rouge fit into the Bible? This is going to be interesting. Mm. Yeah. But no, yeah, it was a good segue into the prophecy. And no, I thought it was really well done, interesting. And yeah, cool. good job. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed it too. History is like my favorite thing to hear about. So like learning about it in the sermon was just next level. Um, <laughs> so I, I really enjoyed that. And I also liked the link to prophecy because mm. I feel like we often really, really neglect it. And um, I realized just how much I don't know um, through the sermon. Like just sitting, I was like, whoa. Sure, just, yeah. 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 Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, let's keep the ball rolling by going to our segment, The Drawing Board. Jesse, what is the drawing board? Well, the drawing board is where we discuss the sources, inspirations, and goals of the sermon in order to better understand the sermon in question. All right, so sources, hey? Well, basically, the way I got to making this sermon was um, I was preparing a lot of Bible studies for friends at school, and they were particularly interested in prophecy. And so I was going through them, and I, I really got on a kind of prophecy kick, I was watching any, any you know, information I could get on biblical prophecy, specifically things that I didn't really know about. Mm. And in particular, I really like all of the sermons by Kenneth Cox. You may be familiar yeah, with him. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. They're, they're good, eh? He's, yeah. a, he's a legend. I love Kenneth. So uh, I was going through his series, and one of them stood out to me. Um, it's probably called Revelation 11 or The Two Witnesses, something along those lines. Mm. And I'd realized, you know, oh, I know a lot about chapters 12 and 13, even 14 a bit, but I've never really sat down and figured out what 11 is. 11. <laughs> and so uh, I listened to it and I was fascinated. I'm like, whoa, this is, mm. this is real. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And I no think way. almost um, if, if you've grown up with an understanding of biblical prophecy, it doesn't really always have that same kick mm, to it. That's you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. boring. Yeah, so you're like, just like, like oh, prophecy, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sure, history, like... Uh, I don't know about you guys, but from a very young age, you know, you taught Daniel 2, Daniel 7, mm, yeah. your, ba your basics, and as you yeah. get older, Revelation 12, 13, all that good stuff. Mm. Uh, that's the thing, it's all good stuff, but because you're kind of young, 
you can't really appreciate it as much. Yeah. And then when I came and heard this at an older age, where I was more mature and could understand it, and you know, you you're hearing a prophecy you've never heard fulfilled before, you go, "Oh, oh man, prophecy's pretty cool." <laughs> Why? So I I really wanted to do a sermon about this now, um, and because it just fascinated me. And then I remember. Um, we were studying uh, in modern history at the moment. Over the holiday break, our teacher said, okay, we didn't get to do this part of the syllabus. We're a bit behind, so I want you guys to just read these last two dot points of the syllabus, and they happen to be about the Khmer Rouge. This is one of the reasons I enjoy history in general. It's basically a story. That's all, that's what it is. And so as I was reading through uh, the textbook, uh, I was just fascinated by this story. It was it had like betrayal, it had intrigue, all these things, and I just loved it. And then I realized, hang on, there's a bit of a subtle connection here between mm. that and this Kenneth Cox thing I've just read. And <laughs> I did have a, oh gosh, pen, pineapple, apple, pen. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have a prophecy. Oh! It's a mystery. Oh, sermon. <laughs> it was basically that. I had two of my favorite things here. Why mm. not just put them together and make it a sermon? So, exactly. And I kind of wanted to convey to people... The, and try and get them to sort of understand the same enthusiasm I had for prophecy now. Because I'm like, yeah. look how relevant it is, guys. Look at, you know, let's not forget how awesome it is. Because hmm. no other, you know, religious text has, well, may attempt prophecy, but <laughs> <laughs> it either does not succeed or is so vague. Yeah, and it could be anything. It could be anything. Yeah. Whereas the Bible goes, how about this? I'm going to give you a complete historical timeline of events. Mm-hmm. Here's where you start, here's where you end, and uh, if if that hasn't happened by this point, don't bother reading yeah. the rest of me. That's yeah. what it, that's basically what the Bible is telling us. And so yeah. it really intrigued me, and I really wanted to get that across. All right, then. Let's get into the main meat of the podcast, The Cutting Room Floor. Kira, what is The Cutting Room Floor? The Cutting Room Floor is the segment where we discuss the parts of the sermon that didn't make it into the final product and break them down. Nice. Well... Admittedly, in this sermon, there wasn't really a lot that I had to cut out. Um, I mean, I could have given a whole detailed description of the Vietnam War <laughs> leading up to the Korean War, I suppose. I mean, yeah. been there all day. Been there all day. Keep going. But uh, apart from that, there wasn't a whole lot that I didn't get to talk about. I did have to kind of... I'll tell you what the big problem was. With Kenneth Cox, this was probably like his, I don't know, 12th, 13th, something around there prophecy seminar so he'd led people through let's just say at least 10 other prophecy Mm. seminars leading Mm. up to this i had to cram that into five minutes like 10 40 minute sermons um you know giving Mm. the basics of as we were saying before daniel 2 and 7 so uh if you have listened to the sermon you'll know that i pretty much give a very compact Mm. Uh, nice little packaged version you did a good job as well. of Daniel. Oh yeah. boy, <laughs> it was it was tough. Yeah. <laughs> but so I could have expanded a little bit more there. But um, if you do want to go and hear a bit more about that, there are lots of resources out there. I definitely just recommend Kenneth Cox. Mm. Um, he does a great job expanding on those series. So there is more resources if you want to get uh, some more information yeah. there. But uh, what I did want to do was ask you guys some questions that you had for me about the sermon. So was there anything in particular that uh, piqued your interest, tickled your fancy that you wanted to ask me about? Yeah. Um, so 
in in your sermon, you sort of like briefly identified papal Rome as being mm. the little horn. Um, yes. So how should we view the Catholic Church today as sort of being that? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, actually, I, what I do appreciate about Kenneth Cox is when he looks at prophecy, he actually makes the distinction between pagan Rome and papal Rome. Mm. So pagan Rome, he just identifies as the nation before um, it becomes this authoritative state uh, church-run state sort of thing. Uh, and so as you look at, uh, you know, in Daniel 7, just the big beast that's, you know, uh, terrifying and all that, he identifies that as pagan Rome, and then correctly, as you said, the the little horn, he had, then identifies as papal Rome. This is now not just a political institution, but a religious organization. That's the difference. It's, it's both. Um, and so I think what is important is to remember, like... Um, there are lots of really good Catholic people, you know, that mm-hmm. are sincere and genuine in their belief. And I often hear people reference that verse, Jesus says, you know, I have sheep in other folds. Mm-hmm. Or even the mm-hmm. fact that, like, this is probably a little risky, but <laughs> <laughs> that in the end times, God tells his people to come out of Babylon. Mm-hmm. Now, not solely identifying the church as Babylon, <laughs> but just yeah. like in general, you know. Yeah. God exactly. has people all over the place, and mm-hmm. he identifies them as being as their faith being sincere and genuine, and he wants them to, you know, be with him. And so I think, you know, when it comes to uh, interacting with Catholic people, I think treat them like people, you know what I mean? Just treat them like other people who are genuine in their faith. And, you know, if you want, you can discuss a little bit about it, um, Mm -hmm. you know, get them... Yeah, yeah. if it's appropriate, Mm -hmm. just have a little bit of dialogue. (laughs) It's probably a little bit difficult, but I think you need to make a really big uh, distinction between the institution and the people within it. Um, mm. Because when the Bible is talking about this, it's it's not referring to the people, is it? Mm. It's referring to... It's the system, isn't it? It's a system. Yeah. It's referring to a system. And that's what I think, yeah, we just need to keep in mind. Um, mm. But yeah, it, I don't think it's too difficult to traverse either, you know? Just mm. treat people like people, essentially. Exactly. <laughs> no, awesome. So when look, listening to your sermon... You pointed out a few things that sometimes when you apply an application to prophecy, mm. things can seem like they fit. I mean, like, for example, the Khmer Rouge. Yeah, yeah. At the same time period, it looks like it might fit, <laughs> but then really does it. Yeah. So I'm wondering, do you have any tips or principles that you can apply to make sure that you're kind of on the right track? Yeah, I, that is true. Um, that people just... <laughs> man, researching this was fun because... <laughs> I was just interested to see what other people uh, are saying about it because I'm not, um, you know, I'm not close-minded. Yeah. Maybe Kenneth Cox is wrong. Who knows? Okay. So exactly. what are other people saying about prophecy? Because right. I, I don't want to be stuck in a vacuum. I want to know what other people are thinking as well. Mm. Um, YouTube's not the place to... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Like, and again, there were some people who are really genuine and sincere but are... Um, <laughs> Definitely, just missing, yeah. missing the mm. missing the principles that you asked about. Uh, the and that's what is kind of frustrating because you can tell that there's a sincerity mm. behind it, mm. but they haven't been equipped mm. to understand prophecy properly. Exactly. Is yeah. is what's the problem? Mm. So, uh, one of the common interpretations of this is that Elijah and Moses will literally come down in the end times. Yeah. Mm. Um, to which I'm like. 
Mm. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, if you guys want. Yeah, where's that from? Like, yeah, where's that <laughs> from? yeah, exactly. But mm. also leading up to that, uh, you know, you've got the period of 1,260 years. Mm. So are they, they going to be around for, for that long? I, I mean, it's a little while. It's a little while. I, I don't know. It's just, it doesn't quite fit. And so mm. one of the great things that uh, Kenneth Cox says, man, <laughs> Kenneth Cox should be paying me for the amount I'm plugging him today. <laughs> Um, one of the good things he says when he, pretty much in every prophecy seminar he gives, he says, you can't come at it and read it and then go, Hey, this is what I think it fits mm. into mm. the Bible. Uh, what is good about the Bible and different from other prophecies? For example, Nostradamus, um, uh, I, I did a lot of research into him and what is frustrating about him is that not only are his prophecies vague, but they are impossible to correctly interpret. Ah, interesting. The Bible gives a specific code or legend, whatever you want to call it, to interpret it. So it says, when I use this symbol, this is what it means. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this, uh, I, this principle in Isaiah, I forget the reference, um, but it says, when looking at the Bible, look at it line upon line, precept mm-hmm. upon precept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Compare verses of Scripture. So when it talks about, um, the two olive branches in Revelation 11. Oh, where have I heard that before? Back in Zechariah. Mm. So now Zechariah tells me, informs me what it means over here. Oh, you know, whatever it is. What does the day represent by biblical prophecy? Oh, go over to Ezekiel mm. 4.6. Mm. Here's what it means. So prophecy really, it, it like, it's not too difficult mm. um, in that the code and the legend are given to you. It, mm. It does get a little complex, you know, when trying to place things in certain areas and when you have so many people with different interpretations. But I think if you just to look at the Bible and use that as your sole guide, mm. it's it's a process that can mm. be achieved. Um, yeah, so that would good. be my advice when looking at biblical prophecy. Mm. And the other thing about biblical prophecy is it's all based upon each... It's based upon... Uh, a foundation before it. Mm. So, for example, Daniel 2 is essentially the basis for pretty much the rest of biblical mm, prophecy yeah. concerning, like, the end times and pretty stuff. Much. It's just like a snapshot of everything. Yeah. It is. It <laughs> is. Uh, and what's great about it is Daniel 2 sets up a historical timeline, unlike Nostradamus, who's like, yeah. at any point in time, this vague <laughs> this may thing happen. will happen. <laughs> and I will give you... And he says, this symbol does not represent that, or whatever. He just yeah. goes... This will happen. <laughs> Interpret as you will. <laughs> Interpret <laughs> as you shall, yeah. So, for example, uh, there's this prophecy that talks about a great orator who will make the people cry out and give <laughs> Well, who could that be? Oh, oh wow. Yeah, so you have people who think it's Oliver Cromwell during the English Revolution. Yeah. Some people think it's Trotsky during the November of, you know, Russian <laughs> yeah. Revolution. And some people are applying it to good old Donald Trump these days. Oh, yes, anyone. So, <laughs> So pretty much anyone in power who speaks and people disagree with is a fulfillment of like yeah, yeah. it's yeah. so vague. Ugh. But Daniel two basically says this is Babylon. After Babylon, these empires are going to come. This is going to be what the rest of Earth's history is going to look like. And here is the, the here's like the hope at the end that the last empire will be God's empire. Um, that's. And you can have assurance in that because you can see all these other events taking place beforehand. Mm-hmm. And so Daniel 2 serves as the foundation for then Daniel 7. And what's mm-hmm. interesting is Daniel 7 
adds a little bit more information this time. This time we've got a little horn character. Oh, well, that's new. But everything else is built upon that. And then when you read on in, like, the vision of the ram and the goat, well, it's the same sort of stuff, but a little bit more information. And Revelation, um, the all of it builds on the foundations of the rest of the Bible. Mm. And what it does is it just adds a little bit more information. So it mm. goes, hey, do you want to hear a little bit more about prophecy? Oh, yeah, sure. Do you want to know the context? Oh, what's the context? Mm. Oh, it's that thing you read about before. Yeah. Mm. So when looking at prophecy, the other good thing to do is not isolate a chapter and go, hmm, what does this mean? <laughs> like, just that mean. Yeah. Exactly. You can't, if it's you, impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. If you look at Revelation 11 and not look at the rest of Re- uh, prophecy, you're yeah. lost. Yeah. Because mm. where, where do you put that 1,260 years? Yeah. Revelation 11 doesn't tell you, mm-hmm. but Revelation 7, uh, no, pardon me, Daniel 7 and Revelation 12 will tell you, mm. and Revelation 13. That'll all tell you, but Revelation 11 doesn't. Yeah. And so what do you have to do? Line upon line, precept upon precept. precept. Grab the different parts of Scripture, integrate it, and, oh, there you go, systematic mm. theology. <laughs> you have to be able to do that in order to mm. understand what you're reading. So, like, mm. it's a process, but it's not uh, unachievable as well. So, um, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but often um, you come across people with, like, a really bad attitude to prophecy. Mm. Or, you know, they'll just be like, no, we don't we don't want to look at that. That's sort yeah. of scary. Well, it like, can't be understood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, don't, we don't get that. Let's not look at that. So, um, do you think we sort of have a responsibility to look at prophecy? Um, yeah. I Here's what I find funny, right? So... Uh, I'm going to get butchered for getting this wrong. I think it's <laughs> Daniel 8 uh, with the 70 weeks prophecy. Mm. And at the end of that, uh, mm. the angel tells him, seal up the vision. Mm. But what's interesting is when you go to Revelation 11, uh, not, uh, I'm not sure if it's specifically in 11, but in Revelation, it mentions, hey, uh, open up that that prophecy mm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, referring back to Daniel, it, it, the angel gives John the Revelator a sealed vision or uh, you know, a sealed uh, scroll with mm-hmm. a, a vision, a prophecy in it, and he says, now is the time to, to open mm-hmm. it up. We're living in the time now where we do have a responsibility. Exactly. Prophecy is... Prophecy is for now. Yeah. If we're not going to interpret prophecy now, when? 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 Like, <laughs> exactly. it's, it, it's only useful now. When it's all fulfilled, mm-hmm. fulfilled well and done, well... What good did it do mm. us? Mm. The idea of God giving prophecy to us now is that we're informed about what the future events will be and gives us assurance that the Bible is true and looking at the past and how it's achieved there. Mm. So in looking at its fulfillment in the past, it gives us hope for the, the future. future. Mm. And, yeah, I think I think people do have a bad stigma about it because so many different people have different interpretations about it. like And wacky ones at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah there, you have a lot of wacky ones in there as well. And, you know, it's the 1,260 days post-trib, pre-trib. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, and, uh, well, even the tribulation period of seven years is the last week from Daniel 8. Oh, yeah. Like, mm. it, it just gets... When you have so many people throwing their ideas in there, it can get muddy, even though it shouldn't be. Mm. As we were saying before, prophecy is achievable, but we've kind of muddied it a little bit in throwing all these different ideas out there. And so what I would advise to definitely our listeners at home is use the Bible as your sole standard and your sole filter for getting through this. Mm. Look at what people are saying. That's what I did. And then I came to the conclusion, well, this is not what necessarily fits my view. Or this is what makes me feel entirely comfortable. This is what fits biblically. Mm. Looking at 
the the Bible from a systematic approach, integrating all these different verses and using other prophecy as a foundation for interpreting this one, this makes the mm. most sense. This is what is biblically sound. So I think we do need to kind of almost recapture prophecy, if you get what I mean, mm. um, because it has sort of been lost, and it's a great tool. Um, it is, yeah. I, I know uh, my parents... Uh, came into the church because of prophecy seminars. They heard it, and they'd never heard this before. What? Prophecy in the yeah. Bible? And so they got that oomph, <laughs> that, that yeah. big impact that, exactly. um, you know, growing up with it and as being a little desensitized as a little kid, you don't get. It really is astonishing when you think mm. about yeah. it. Um, so I think we do have a bit of a responsibility to tell people, especially when you consider the three angels' message. Mm. What is it all doing? It's A lot of it is telling about, hey, this is going to happen soon. It's a warning. Mm. And when you look more towards the end of biblical prophecy, and it gets more eschatological, which just means yeah. <laughs> referring to the end times for listeners yeah. at home, when it uh, starts to get more to that sort of stuff, you know, Jesus' second coming is approaching, I think we've got more responsibility now mm. than ever to, um, you know, talk about prophecy, for sure. Exactly. It seems like from what you're saying, Revelation and Daniel are really books for students of the Bible. Yeah. Like, yeah, you have to know your entire Bible, essentially, to understand them, which, in a sense, is a good incentive to read the Bible. Exactly. And Mm. I think what's important is the Christian experience is not one of isolation. Mm. Uh, I think what happens is when people just do this by themselves, they often come to weird conclusions (laughs) because they have no one to exchange ideas and have a dialogue with. Exactly. We've had so many years of church history, like... Maybe look into what they had to say, because yeah. <laughs> you'd think in the, you know, the 2,000-odd years Christianity's been around that some people have had some pretty yeah. decent ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can learn a whole lot of stuff from people in church mm. history. And uh, the other thing I would say now, uh, the other thing I would suggest is find a spiritual mentor to help you, mm. because if you don't have a complete, full understanding of the Bible, you know, what's the only way you, what's yeah. the only way you learn? By yeah. finding a teacher. And... It doesn't even have to be like someone in real life. Yeah. It can be the like Kenneth Cox if you exactly. want, you know. Somebody, yeah. somebody, yeah. somebody who knows what they're talking about and can help you, you know, help you understand that. So look for what other people are saying, both in the past and in the present. Weigh it up against mm. the Bible, mm. and then you can begin to more understand prophecy. I mean, yeah, people um, back in church history, they've looked at prophecy and they've said, oh, it's this, 100%. Mm. Um, Like, if you look back at the great disappointment in um, Adventism, um, and then suddenly something doesn't happen and they're like, oh, wait, what are we going to do? So they go back to that. And um, that's what you need to keep doing. Like, would you say, like, not get discouraged, um, Mm. just keep looking and, you know, don't be afraid to have new light or new knowledge. Yeah, always be open to this, yeah. Yeah, that's it, and that's what's good about being able to have dialogue. You're able to grow and expand, you know, that faith. And if if there is error, you can correct it. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's ideal. We, we want to be, you know, teaching the truth and not be, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that. That. <laughs> Edit. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, another question. Looking through, you, I think... I think it's in Ezekiel. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it talks about the day for a year principle. Mm. Mm, yeah. um, I'm curious, why do you think God would put in principles like that, and symbols and all these sort of things in the Bible? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, 
God uses symbols in prophecy or just symbols in general, uh, sort of for the same reason that we've been talking about now, in that as people study the Bible, um, well, in order to in order to understand prophecy, you have to have a pretty good comprehensive knowledge of the Bible. And so I think what God is doing is, you sort of alluded to it before, giving people incentive to read the rest of the Bible. Mm. If you want to understand this, you have to go back and read the other parts. And so it's, I think it's almost as though God is sort of rewarding people who are diligent enough to study and really want to get into that more deeper meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for the people who are just happy to sit on the more shallow, surfacey aspect of you know reading the Bible, they'll never really get that full, rich depth part of it, you mm-hmm. know? And so I think what God is doing is, uh, he, he does, I think he does reward people for uh, just really having that attitude of diligently studying and getting down into it. So at, at the end of the sermon, you sort of linked it back to, um, you know, if all of these prophecies have been coming true, um, why wouldn't Jesus be coming back? Mm. You know, because that's like the greatest um, prophecy, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, the um, what prophecies all running up to, it's Jesus' return. Um, so what should we do as we wait for Jesus um, to come back? And, you know, how much longer? How much longer? <laughs> how much longer? <laughs> <laughs> like, how long do we have to wait? Yeah. <laughs> Like, come on. <laughs> well, the the short answer is no No one knows the day nor the, the hour. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the first part of the question again? What should we, how should we do it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jesus has like a lot to say about that sort of stuff, you know? Just being vigilant is one of his big things. Be vigilant, mm-hmm. be sober, be ready. Um, because the idea is he, he describes it almost as like a thief coming in the night. Mm-hmm. You're not quite sure when... It'll come, you know. Mm-hmm. You know you know it may happen, but you're not sure when, what time exactly. Mm-hmm. But what do you do? You you put up contingencies. You prepare yourself for that time when it could happen. Most people, look at this, plug for CrimSafe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you put in CrimSafe on your door just in case the thief comes. <laughs> Some of the slogan. <laughs> oh, if it's not CrimSafe. It's not, not CrimSafe. <laughs> There we go. Our sponsor today is CrimSafe. <laughs> no, I can't have <laughs> uh, If you go on to CrimSafe.com and use the code ASP podcast, you're 20% off your first nut. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, what a deal. What a deal. But yeah, you put in preventative measures because you know this may happen. And so the preventative measures for a Christian is to be on guard, to be aware, to be vigilant. And during that time also... To help others get to that point. As we were talking about, we have a responsibility to talk to people about prophecy and let them know, hey, psst, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's how you can know why. You know, now you can prepare yourself as well. Exactly. Um, uh, you know, and if you think of the parable of the uh, the virgins waiting for... Uh, yeah. With the oil. With the oil. Yeah. So you have the five wise and the five foolish. Five mm-hmm. of them conserve their oil, waiting for the, gr- the uh, bridegroom, who in the story represents Jesus. Mm-hmm. They're waiting and they're patient. And the other ones, they just burn all their... F- burn they burn <laughs> yeah, it all exactly. and they go, oh, derpy derp. They don't have any spare. <laughs> yeah. They don't, yeah. Yeah. They don't like, have well. any left. Yeah. <laughs> they're, prepared, yeah. they're not prepared. So it's having that attitude of being prepared and just, yeah, mm-hmm. expectantly awaiting that day. Uh, as for 
how how soon, hey? <laughs> when? Well, I think the good thing is the Bible does give us that historical timeline. And as you look through it, we are reaching that sort of closer stage day by day mm-hmm. to that event taking place. But again, as Jesus says, no man knows the day nor the hour. Not even the Son knows. Mm-hmm. Only God the Father does. So uh, you could say it's quite a well-kept secret. <laughs> but we have a lot of... Uh, evidence prior, and mm. all you have to do is look around now as well and see prophecy being fulfilled. Yeah, so definitely. <laughs> it, it's pretty ridiculous. What is America? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, nah. it soon. That's you know. That's all we can say. And soon, and very soon. Soon, yeah. and very soon. And I think, uh, as evidenced by the past, learn from mistakes in the past. Setting a specific day date mm. you know doesn't work doesn't no work. no <laughs> not at all and people yeah. still do that though oh, like, it's like they just forget that. they're like oh i'll just ignore that no one knows the day or the hour first like yeah. no i know, I know. <laughs> last year there was another one uh it was another day of atonement last year oh. um I, I know i know it's like an annual thing but it was uh it was like like a 50 year one or something. So, it was something like <laughs> It was something like Day of Atonement and Yom Kippur had like oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah I saw that. something like yeah. that and uh, man, people made made mad money from selling books about that. And then that yeah, day yeah. came and went, and they still kept their money. That mm-hmm. that's kind of what it has been turned into. The whole day sitting, yeah, the whole sitting a date thing is sort of turned into a cash grab. Just like, oh, yeah. well, now you have to be prepared for this specific mm. day. Mm. Buy my book to know more. Come you know? to church now. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. like, want to give me some money? Like, sell, sell me, sell your stuff, and then like, yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> I, I'll take, I'll take it off your hands. You're not going to need yeah. the apocalypse. Don't need your earthly you know? treasures. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. So, yeah, I, YouTube. It's <laughs> it's a bit of a bit of a cesspool when it comes to that. You don't have to look far to find people setting dates. And what frustrates me is it's so blatantly not grounded in the Bible. Yeah. Um, And some of these people are sincere. Some of them aren't, like we were talking about just before. They're the cash grabber type or just wanting to get some hype around their YouTube channel, get them Mm -hmm. subs. So it really, it does uh, a bit, you know, irritate me to see that, uh, they, um, it irritates me to see that they're reaching the people, but with such skewed information mm-hmm. that's not mm-hmm. founded in the Bible, you know? And there we go. We have a responsibility to teach the correct, you know, exactly. biblically founded to ideas. point people back to the Bible mm. as that's the it. foundation. Yeah. 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 Keep pointing people <laughs> back to the Bible as opposed to what some person's come up with in their head. Yeah. And mm. yeah, that's about it. Exactly. So, um, as we discovered in Revelation and Daniel, some things are literal, uh, but there are also some things that are symbolic. And (laughs) the majority are symbolic. (laughs) So, I'm wondering, do you have any principles or tips to know which is which? Like I said, this could be an edit. (laughs) Which is which? Literal and symbolic. Um... Yeah. Those beasts are pretty hectic, like <laughs> Look yeah. for the most part it's pretty obvious. Um for example, I had a friend who was telling me her interpretation of Revelation twelve and she thought that a literal dragon would come into power on over the earth. No. Um <laughs> and, <laughs> like as I say cool, but living in that period of time. Would not, not be cool. Like, <laughs> So, fire. <laughs> like, 
as much as the fanfic in me wants that to be true... <laughs> Don't fanfic the Bible! <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't... Um, it's, it's generally pretty easy to tell what is literal, what is symbolic. Mm-hmm. Do you really think a literal dragon is going to be coming up? Do you really mm-hmm. think that, you know, uh, these two people... The two witnesses uh, are two people who can breathe mm-hmm. fire and cause plagues and all this, mm-hmm. you know? Like, the Bible is pretty clear, actually. Um, and what is interesting, even, is that sometimes the Bible uses symbols in a literal story. Mm-hmm. For example... Uh, I, I beg to differ that, you know, the, the throne room scene in Revelation 4, that's probably describing, you know, a real place, mm. and they're probably the description of heaven and all this is probably real, but in it we've got these symbolic animals. For mm. example, you know, the lamb that had been wounded. Well, okay, that's yeah. Jesus. Mm. So you've True. even got, like, a symbol in the literal. It's, it's fairly easy to discern, mm. I think. And later on, when you get into, like, Revelation 20 and 21... And it's talking about, uh, you know, to begin with the destruction of the wicked and then the restoration of heaven and earth and the new Eden. Well, that seems pretty... That seems to line up with um, what we read in other parts of the Bible, like in Isaiah, where it talks about God restoring the peace of Eden. Mm-hmm. So that seems pretty literal. It's God's not trying to convey a hidden message or anything there. Exactly. This isn't... This is just God basically giving a chronological sequence of events. He goes, this is how it ends. Yeah, he's given us minds to discern. So yeah. yeah, so it's pretty clear when the Bible is trying to give across something literal and when it's trying to give across something uh, symbolic. And that's also to do mm-hmm. a lot with literary genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the Revelation, Book of Revelation is very prophetic, but it's also dealing with chronological historical events as well. So... Um, just understanding the genre of the book and having some, as you said, just using some mm-hmm. discernment. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you that discernment as well because, um, you know, no in, no prophecy came by human interpretation. It all comes through the Holy Spirit. So mm-hmm. that'd be uh, my biggest tip in, yeah, being able to properly discern the literal and, and the symbolic. But for the most part, I think it's quite self-evident. So how much do you think is lost in the translation of Scripture? Yeah, um, I read this good book um, called The Inclusive Language Debate, and it talked about a lot about the uh, principles of translation. And the takeaway I got from that was this little credo, translation is treason. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, (laughs) I'll just go learn some Greek now. (laughs) Um, And the idea wasn't that whatever English version or whatever translated version you read is immediately heresy. Mm. But the idea is that there is no such thing as a 100% perfect translation. There, The fact of the matter is we can't properly um, get across, you know, the exact uh, intentions of the author. And then you've even got this whole debate of, do you go more word for word? Because if you look at King James and New King James... They try and translate word for word, whereas uh, more recent translations try and go thought for thought, yeah. just try and get the the intention mm-hmm. of the author's intended meaning. And so really, that's what we're trying to do when we read scripture. We want mm-hmm. to understand the author's inter- intended meaning, the aim of it. Exactly. Um, I feel like that little acronym. And so when people translate, you know, whether it's word for word or thought for thought, they just try and convey the message of the original 
text as best mm. possible. That original thought that God gave the prophets. Actually. Exactly, because mm. that's what we're trying to get, isn't it? We're trying to get that inspired aspect there. Mm. Not to say that, you know, by definition then, translations are inspired and are of, uh, you know, a, on a pedestal. Because mm. I know, for example, a lot of people hold the 1611 King James yeah. Version <laughs> yeah. as actually inspired. Yeah. <laughs> the only one. The only <laughs> one, but yes. it's just a it's just a human translation mm. of you know the inspired words. So mm. um, we do lose a little bit. For exa- uh, the the example that uh, we got in this sermon was the fact that the word Hadashah actually means like gives off light. That's the connotation, mm. and yet we translated it as it's like stands beside. I, yeah. What? <laughs> I I'm assuming because it doesn't quite fit the rest of the narrative, in, mm-hmm. like in Zechariah there. And so they just kind of went, well, let's simplify okay. it, you know. So we do lose some, you know, and I think for the most part it's very unintentional. It's just trying to adapt it to English so that English readers understand it because maybe, you know, maybe if it did just say produces light and we'd be like, what? What does that mean, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, I think it's good to go back to the original text and just to you know, if possible, understand what they were trying to get across as much as possible. But um, we do lose we do lose a little bit in translation. But yeah, if you do go back to the original text, it's there. You can find it. Yeah, so, extra insight. Yeah, you can get extra insight. Yeah. But ultimately, I think when it comes to prophecy and translation and all that stuff, it really does come back to this whole idea of making sure that what you're doing in prophecy fits biblically getting it as founded in the Bible as possible, really. Mm. Yeah. So I guess if you think about it, you could almost look at prophecy as like a jigsaw puzzle. When you do a jigsaw puzzle, you have to get the perfect fit. But sometimes, you know, you know what it's like. You can find this piece that looks like it fits. Maybe you can even squeeze it in and sort of uh, chuck it in there. But it has to be the perfect fit, doesn't it? So the way I think of it, yeah, things can seem like they fit, but you have to make sure that they are the perfect fit. So, Christopher, do you have any recommended readings? Yep. Today, uh, I'm going to recommend, if you want to learn some more about the Khmer Rouge, Ken Webb's uh, Conflict in Indochina. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? That, I'm looking up. Ken Webb, yes! Ken Webb. <laughs> what a lad. <laughs> True legend. <laughs> Definitely Ken Webb. Um, Kenneth Cox. And... <laughs> Uh, Kenneth Cox, his prophecy seminars, if you just look up <laughs> Kenneth Cox prophecy seminars on YouTube, you'll find them all. He's got about 20 in these things. He's really good. And, uh, our sponsor for the day, Crimsafe. Uh, <laughs> it's not Crimsafe. It's, it's not, not Crimsafe. <laughs> awesome. So, Jesse, where can these people find you? Sure. You can find me on my YouTube channel, just called Jesse Marks. Nice. So, Chris, um, where can we find you? Yep, you can find me on my YouTube channel as well, Christopher Peterson, that's spelled with an S-E-N, and on the podcast here fortnightly as well. Alright, well, don't forget the AfterZone podcast is now available on more platforms than ever. The podcast is now available on our YouTube channel here, but also on SoundCloud as well as on podcasts on iTunes. So make sure to subscribe, follow us on all those different platforms, and join us every fortnight as we look at a different sermon. Also, don't forget to like and follow us on our Facebook page under the same name, The After Sermon Podcast, to make sure that you get all of our updates, links to upcoming sermons for the podcast episodes, and other huge announcements that we have. 
Thanks so much for supporting us, guys, and for listening with us. That concludes today's podcast, and we hope you've all been blessed as we discuss this sermon, The Rise of the Khmer Rouge. Make sure to come back in a fortnight as we discuss another sermon in another episode. And with that said, have a good one, and good Good night. night.